the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In music, a prelude is a piece that precedes more complex musical movements. As a classically trained musician, I always found preludes quite helpful because they would introduce the themes that you would hear in much larger and longer symphonic works. But they do more than that than just introduce. In fact, they're more um, commonly seen in church than in symphonies. You may not realize, but every week you hear a prelude. There's a prelude before worship begins that introduces a musical theme for the day in the season or even the event of the day that we're in. And on days like today, when things are anything but normal, we're thankful for preludes because they introduce hymns that we sing and familiar music that um, we may not otherwise know before we dive right in with singing. In fact, uh, organ preludes are the earliest version of this musical work, which often supported congregational singing and, and teed up music for choirs and congregations alike. In many ways, um, today, Palm Sunday, is a prelude to Holy Week. It's a, it's a prelude of the things to come. Um, we have the benefit of seeing both gospel readings, the one of Jesus' triumphal entry, and then, um, as we just heard in the Passion, which will be repeated on Good Friday, we, we hear the prelude of where this entry leads. Indeed, Jesus will be king, and he enters into the city of Jerusalem as king and hailed rightly as such, but will be a very different king and a very different kingdom that he ushers in than those gathered outside the city of Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. And in many ways, I think there's a lesson there, not just in the prelude of Palm Sunday for this week, but in many ways, um, today, in the lessons that we'll find as we turn to Luke in just a moment, um, the first version of Luke that we heard in Luke 19 outside, it reminds us that there's a prelude to life itself that is working toward its culmination in the season that we're in, in the life that we lead, in its culmination in Jesus' triumphal Returns. So there's kind of two dual themes, a prelude for Palm Sunday, a prelude for our lives as well as we begin in this Holy Week together. So bearing that in mind, I'd invite you to turn back in your Bible or to follow along with me on the screens to uh, look at Luke 19 and Jesus' entry into Jerusalem today. I believe it holds therein this, this theme of this prelude of Palm Sunday three lessons for us that will assist us in orienting ourselves to this week to lead us into Holy Week, but also um, that should assist us in the rest of our lives as we prepare for Jesus' return. Now, it's really interesting. Um, the, the more time I spend in Scripture, the more um, the, the seemingly inconsequential verses, as we often may look at them, hold more meaning and value. The more time I've spent in Scripture, the more I find one word sometimes can unlock something I've never thought of or seen before as the Holy Spirit illumines something. And I share that because verse 28 is almost kind of a, a passing verse when we look at it. Um, by all accounts, it's, it's a prelude uh, to the rest of this uh, passage. It basically tells us that in the preceding verses that we've read, um, Jesus has stopped and taught. If you looked back earlier, 
in chapter 19. You'd see they're on their way to Jerusalem. They've stopped. They've interacted. There's been a teaching. And verse 28 really kind of tells us, okay, now they're back on the journey. They're back on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus going out before them, as he often does on the way there. Now, we know in verse 41, Jesus doesn't go to Jerusalem out before them, come back and meet them. I mean, they all enter in to Jerusalem together, as we read in verse 41. But um, this is just a reminder that not unlike so many times before, Jesus is out ahead of them. Jesus is going on the way, leading the way where they're going as they continue their journey to Jerusalem together. And I share all this because in many ways, I think buried in this opening verse is a deep lesson for us, um, a deep first lesson in this prelude of Holy Week, if you will. And it's simply one of preparation. Namely, that um, as we see Jesus physically going before the disciples on those dusty roads, in that ascent and descent and ascent back into Jerusalem, Jesus has prepared the way. In fact, we see as much, quite literally, in the preceding, um, or the seceding verses, excuse me, in 29 and following, we read that um, Jesus sends out two of the disciples. In this case, they're not named. Um, they go into this unnamed small village, the, the specific street, the specific house where they find this specific young cult. And oh, by the way, as you untie it, say these things um, if, but really when, they ask you, what are you doing? And verse 32 tells us that everything was just as Jesus said, as they come back. Jesus had gone before. Jesus had prepared the way, even in this small act. And as we just heard in the Passion reading, we think, or we should let our minds wander to where we're headed, and all the ways that Jesus had prepared the way in each moment of Holy Week, which we'll pass through in the remainder of this week, Monday, Thursday, sending out the disciples again to prepare what? This time, the upper room, where they would celebrate the Passover the last time in a home that wasn't theirs, in a town that they're not normally in, and everything is just as Jesus instructs. On Good Friday, Jesus has prepared and paved the way, as we know. It's the moment for which he entered into the world as we move through those events on Good Friday and following. This time, as Jesus himself undoes what our first parents did in a garden as he himself kneels in the Garden of Gethsemane, and thereafter on the subsequent day undoes the curse that put us at odds and at enmity with God. And then on the silence of Holy Saturday, God is at work, Peter uh, reminds us in his epistle to Second Peter, as we'll hear on that day. And then, of course, on Easter, we reach the joy and the climax of the, the most wonderful movement and the resurrection of Jesus a week from today. It's all because Jesus prepared the way. Prepared the way for those moments, just as he prepared for every moment in his three-year ministry, just as he had prepared in the Godhead from the foundation of the world when things went sideways. I think there's a wonderful lesson because Jesus in the 40 days to follow before he ascends into heaven doesn't just teach them and then ascend into heaven on the ascension and then say, good luck, I'll see you again someday. No, he's prepared the way. He sends the Holy Spirit upon them on Pentecost and, and then subsequently 
prepares the way this time through the Holy Spirit that resides in each and every disciple down through the ages, preparing the way as his kingdom continues to be ushered in time and time and time again until it reaches its culmination, the final movement, if you will, in his return. I think that's a wonderful reminder for us. How often do we think of life in such a way? That if Jesus has prepared the way from your entrance into the world till your final breath, until the moment when you are rejoined with him, if you have come to him in faith and been baptized, then really the whole course of our life is to understand and discern what the preparations are that he's already made for us. We have a part in salvation history that he's given to us. We get to be a part of this grand story where he continues to usher in the kingdom of God. We have gifts and talents that he's given us to build up the body of Christ. Everything a church needs is in her membership in a local body if we would but use them. It's all there. And God has given us all of these wonderful things, not just for us to bunker down, but to continue to advance the line until the day of his return. He's prepared the way. And so our journey in life is really to continue to see where we step into his paths, into his preparation that have already taken place. And that is our job and our work. In fact, what it should do is lead us to a second lesson, but to a second part of our reading here in verse 35 and following, which is, which is the heart of what happens today. And when they bring this colt right to Jesus, what happens? They lay their cloaks on it. We, as we remember in the palm branches today, they lay palms on the way. Um, it's a sign of heralding a king that's entering triumphantly into a city. Um, and as they draw near to the Mount of Olives, which is kind of the last major hill before you descend and then ascend back up into the city of Jerusalem, we see that they do a very Anglican thing. They have a procession, right? They process down the hill into Jerusalem. And as they do so, the crowds grow. People come out. And spontaneous praise breaks forth as they all recount what Jesus has done. And they recite this portion of Psalm 118 that you recite every single week in the Sanctus, the holy, holy, holy Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna and the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was a very liturgical culture, right? Um, as pilgrims would enter into Jerusalem time and time again, they would recite Psalm 118 in almost a liturgical form, which would remind them of their pilgrimage as they are welcomed into the city of Jerusalem to go and worship in the temple. But this is no common pilgrim, Jesus, who's entering into the city, and so this psalm is adapted for him. And in the first and really only time in Luke's gospel, king is adjoined to Jesus in this moment as we recognize that what will play out is indeed ushering in a king, but in a very different way as we've just heard, and in a very different form. And so um, as they go through this, Luke is rife with imagery. Um, this peace in heaven and glory in the highest should ring a bell. The last time we've heard that is at the beginning of Luke's gospel from the angelic hosts who claim peace on earth and glory in the highest with men in whom he is well pleased. This time, the chorus is not the angels, but the people who have witnessed the peace 
in the glory of God in Jesus Christ. It's rich. It's really rich. And as we think on that, um, I, I think it, it brings us to a second um, prelude, and it, it's quite simply this, that from the preparation in life, from the preparation we see, it should naturally lead us to praise. And we often think that praise is something, yeah, I know, we should, we should go to church, we should do that, that's a good thing, and it is. But we forget what we do when we come in praise. Praise is not about what we get, it's about what we bring. We bring our best to God, just like those on this Palm Sunday brought palms, brought their cloaks. Their cloaks are really one of their, their best things, right? I mean, that was the best they had, and they laid it down on dusty roads to be trampled by a horse. And all of the imagery that goes with young horses and all the things they can do on the way. And, and, and it's just it's a normal thing. They didn't even bat an eye. And while that's happening, they're, they're praising Jesus for what he's done. They're offering their time. They're offering, they've stopped everything for this moment. And in it, we recognize something vital. That if we will walk in the preparation that Jesus has for us, it should lead us to praise. Because what praise does for us is continually usher us back into the presence of Jesus. And heaven knows we need that. I don't even need to remind you of that these days. But when we are outside in the world living in it but not of it, we need praise not just on Sundays but daily to usher us back into Jesus' presence. He doesn't go anywhere. We often stray and wander, as daily office reminds us. We all stray and err like lost sheep. Um, that's, that's our daily life. And so we need to be ushered and praised back into his presence, which reorients our hearts back to seek his face and to be prepared and to walk in his will and his ways. All of that is both a cautionary tale and a great, a great reminder that we see, oh, excuse me, back in the end of this passage, um, which, there's your lesson, but um, in verse 39 uh, and 40, it reminds us of a cautionary tale and what it should do. Namely, that um, not everyone is praising Jesus in this moment. It's a sad kind of a, a downer and a huge big moment. We read in verse 39 that the Pharisees come and say, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I mean, what a, what, a, what a terrible moment to have. In fact, this is the last time in Luke's gospel that we see the Pharisees. And then their last interaction, it sums up every single interaction and confrontation they've had with Jesus up to this point. They can't see what God is doing in Jesus. All they see in their nearness to the law and every dot and tithe down to their very uh, time, uh, not just physical time, but their shrubs and their bushes and everything they do, right? They're so close. They're so close to God, and yet they're so far away with their hearts in proximity to Him. And in the midst of that, um, they can't see. They only see a threat. They don't see the fulfillment of what Jesus is doing in all these moments. And so Jesus, in, in this wonderful line in verse 40, zooms out to try one last time to give them the bigger picture. His kingdom is not just about a particular people, Israel. It's not even about all the people in the world, but it's about all of creation. And even if the people themselves would not herald him as king, creation would. Because creation, as Paul later reminds us, groans and waits its own redemption, knowing 
that only its creator can restore and fulfill all things. There's this one final poetic movement that shows us that what Jesus is doing is far bigger. It's far grander than they could even begin to imagine. And sadly, they miss it. They grumble, and their hearts are distant. And Jesus' heart has to break for them because we always set them up as straw men, but really the closest ones to the kingdom were the Pharisees all along. And like the, like the elder son from last week's gospel, he keeps trying to draw them in, and they just won't come in. And so this is their final moment, and we see Jesus tell us this. And I think therein is a, is a cautionary tale, but also a, a cause for a reminder that our praise really keeps us in proximity to Jesus. That's why we remain in a place of praise. Because heaven knows we need to be near to him to hear his voice, to discern his will and his ways, to understand the paths he's prepared for us. And so it keeps us drawn in. It keeps us close to Jesus. In that proximity, we know that the Pharisees, they had equally as many interactions with Jesus as arguably the disciples or anyone else. It wasn't just about seeing him and coming to be with him, but it was about the posture of their heart. And so that is the key. When I say proximity, I don't just mean be in Jesus' presence, but it's about the posture of our heart. Praise is what unlocks that before God. We can go through all the motions all day long and be just like the Pharisees, close to Jesus, but not fully in his presence, not fully in his will and his ways. And so we're reminded that that holds the key for us. So might I leave you with, with just two things. First is, can I urge you this week, urge you to make these services your utmost priority? Um, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, two extra services in 365 days out of the year. Um, you walk through these moments. Holy Saturday as well. Enter into the silence. This uh, tradition often doesn't do anything on Holy Saturday. The reason for that is we just sit in the eerie silence of a vacant sanctuary for a period of time to recognize that God's at work in ways we don't see it. And then when we come in in the joy of Easter morning, um, our praises are met in a new way. I can promise you this. If you don't walk through those moments in the course of this week, you, you'll be robbed of the full joy of the resurrection on Easter morning a week from today. But it's not just about attendance. I could care less about full churches or not. What it does is that it begins to, to pivot something in your heart, hopefully, that we begin to see that that should be the posture of our lives, that should usher us into his presence through praise that keep us close to Jesus. Because today reminds us of a triumphal entry, yes, in a lowly form of a king who comes riding in to die, as we sang. But we remember that when he returns, not if, but when he returns, he rides in the clouds in majesty where he will come to reign and rule forevermore. And may we be ready to hail him as king on that day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.